Welcome to Digital First Leadership, the podcast that focuses on helping leaders and teams understand how to master the language of social media in today's digital first world. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Richard Bliss, and you're listening to this episode of Digital First Leadership, how we speak to those people who are influencing, talking about, and identifying the trends that are happening in leadership in the world today. My guest today is Charlene Lee. Charlene is a New York Times bestselling author, and she's also the Chief Research Officer at PA Consulting. Charlene, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Okay. Now, before we even get going, Charlene, uh, I've got to ask, I have not interviewed, talked to, or engaged with too many chief research officers. And that seems to be a very unique role and something I think that you're uh, uniquely qualified for. Is that accurate? Uh, I, I would hope so. I've been in the research space for over 20 years and I'm excited about this new role at PA Consulting because I can write about pretty much anything I want. And <laughs> so they're trusting me to do this. And it, the, the issues I think that are pressing leaders today are these really what I call wicked problems. These are issues that defy solution because you can't Google what the solution is going to be. So for example, how do we actually take ESG and sustainability and build it deeply into our organization rather than having it on the side? But that requires that we make really substantive trade-offs between uh, short-term gains, long-term gains, and our community, our employees, our customers, the climate, I mean, these are just really hard problems to deal with. Well, we just don't have the tools as leaders to be able to do these kinds of things. And PA Consulting brought you in to try to address some of these issues, didn't they? They did. What are are some of the things they have you researching right now? Uh, So one of the things I'm doing is 181 CEOs sign the business roundtable purpose of a a company, of a corporation. Mm -hmm. And it was always in the past to maximize shareholder value. And in August of 2019, 181 CEOs signed a document saying, no, the purpose of the organization is to maximize the stakeholder value. Right. So there are other stakeholders other than shareholders, and we commit to supporting customers, employees, the community, our environment, our partners in supply chain, as well as our shareholders. And so my, my summer research project is to go around and, and talk to each of these uh, stakeholders in these companies and say, How's it going? What works? What doesn't work? We've been at this for three years. COVID has come into the middle of this. Right. How are you thinking about this? How do we make these trade-offs? Because business is all about trade-offs. And I never that, have enough budget, not enough time, not enough Yeah, people. never enough budget. And we're seeing that, right? We're seeing that the corporate role of executives and the companies is going far beyond the business into society as a whole. And we're seeing this around the globe, aren't we? Right. And yet, how do we do this? There's no playbook for this. And yet there are playbooks. There are examples from all around the world from back in our history. If you think about the moguls, the Carnegie's of the world, they were incredible capitalists, but they also contributed tremendously back to their communities. What, how do you do this? How, how do you do this as a company, as a hired gun, not a family business? Yeah, now you wrote The Disruption Mindset. It's been out three years. And you have a new book coming out that addresses some of the challenges and this disruption that we're facing, but from a leader, a very specific leadership standpoint. Where are you seeing that those leaders are facing these challenges? How, how are they making this adjustment? And what are some of the adjustments that are catching them by surprise? Sure, I wrote The Disruption Mindset right on the eve of COVID. And um, good timing or terrible timing, depending on how you look at it. And, and 
one of the questions coming into and out of COVID as well, our demands of leadership are so different now. Though this, this, as you were saying, Richard, it, it's so much more nuanced. I have to think about so many things. We know that employee engagement went up when people, managers actually started asking people, how are you doing? No, no, truly, how are you doing? And that's all it took. And yet it has gone back down because we stopped doing this. Like, why does this not stick? And what I realized in my conversations with leaders, they wanted to know, how do I do this? How do I be strong and yet vulnerable? How do I be confident and humble? We don't have models of leadership of how to do this. How do we know how to persist or how to pivot? How do we create change and yet maintain and, and execute operationally at an excellent level? Do you so think, we oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Oh, no, here's uh, a question I have. Uh, yeah. Let me, because my focus has always been on this transition of leaders in, we'll call it real time, face to face, and now switching to the digital environment. Do you think leaders, uh, somehow didn't understand the nuances of this because they had the uh, the cheat code of being able to see a person in person, they could see if they were physically distraught and they didn't have to develop a certain set of tools where they actively had to ask instead. Is that a possibility there? I, I think it, that was part of the reason, but I think the reality is we have been taught not to bring our emotions to work, not to be personal, oh, not to have connection and relationship, that it's dangerous to do that especially because it could turn into something inappropriate, right? Me too has really drilled this into our heads, especially for women or, or men working with women. And so we've stripped humanity out of our workplaces. And yet the most human thing that we want to be, that to happen is for us to be seen, to be known, to be understood, to see for our whole selves. Well, I gotta so say- what are we going to think about work in a completely different way? Right. And so I got to say in our environment, so my, there's 10 of us in our environment and several of them, several of my employees are single moms. And what's happened, the irony here is, is if we've moved to a virtual environment where we've been distanced away from each other, yet on the flip side, we have been brought into each other's personal lives on an unprecedented scale, right? Where this, this past week we were training a new client and both moms were presenting and both moms have kids that Zoom bombed the, the call and everybody on the call was engaged and interested and did not have a problem to the point then one of the attendees felt comfortable to pick up her own child and to hold that child in her arms as she was engaging. And that we would have never experienced this pre-COVID where we would have had this intimate uh, insights into each other's personal lives at an unprecedented level that has been ironically both distancing because it's virtual, but so much more intimate because we've been brought into each other's homes and lives. How come, how more, how more intimate can you be than to see each other's bedrooms? Yes. I mean, we were like seeing all aspects of our lives and we were accepting it. And I think that really changed things for us. It just changed what is work, what is professional, what is that line going to be? And it was a recognition for the very first time there is no line, it's the same person. So, and why are we making people draw that line and checking things at the door? Why are we doing that? Yeah, I know that uh, my own wife is, uh, this week has had to go back into the office for the first time. And she said the first day was just pure chaos. She didn't get anything done. Work stopped because everybody's doing the human thing, chatting, talking, seeing each other. She said work day two was a little better, 
but the leadership was in town and some of these leaders have met their employees for the very first time. And so this is a major shift for uh, leadership. Where do you see this going? What kind of skills are leaders going to need to adopt and how are they going to be able to learn these skills as we move into this new environment? Again, the old playbooks of leadership don't work anymore. I mean, this, this whole idea, like we gotta be back in the office. If anything, if you have even remotely a few people working hybrid, you have to think much more carefully now about a new type of bias, proximity bias. We talk oh. about all these different types of bias, you know, gender, ethnicity, age, there's proximity now because it's so much easier to develop a relationship with people who are close to you, even just time zone close to you, not even the same physical office. So are you going to favor someone who is probably not at home with young kids, typically male, typically older, uh, and those people are going to have, quote, an advantage now because they're coming to the office and you're coming to the office. So we need to be very, very careful about not creating a two-tier system of people who are in the office and other people who may be working remotely or even hybrid. So I got it. I'm, I just took notes. I'm, I'm going to proximity bias. Okay. Absolutely. Perfectly well said. Um, I, I'm sure you've got that written down somewhere that, I, I, okay, Charlene Lee, proximity bias. I'm going to, that's going to be my quote because that's fantastic because you and I both live here in the San Francisco Bay area, right? Yet you probably have seen it. And I know I've seen it so many during the pandemic. So many leaders have taken the opportunity to relocate because they discovered they can lead just as effectively in a virtual environment from anywhere, whether that they've moved to Kansas or they've moved to Connecticut or where they've moved. And yet some of these companies are now saying, hey, you need to come back into the office. And I heard one person say, well, do the executives need to come back into the office as well? Because how come you're going to make the rank and file, but the executives now still get to have this hybrid environment and enjoy the, the workspace? So I think that's going to be a big challenge for a lot of organizations to make that adjustment. Well, one of the most important things about leadership is credibility. And you have to model the way. And if you don't, your credibility as a leader is completely shot. It doesn't matter what your title is. People will not follow you because they don't believe you anymore. And leadership is all about the relationship between people who lead and the people who follow them. So what do you think, uh, what do you think the stumbles are going to be? Are, are we going to see a turnover of leaders who just can't make this pivot? I think the, the existing system will co continue to support them. But the reality is it's not a turnover of leaders that matters. It's a turnover of the employees. People don't leave bad jobs. They leave bad leaders. Right. We've heard that one so many times. And now we're starting yes. to see that with the great resignation that, that people are like, I don't, I don't need this. I saw I a, a story. They don't need this. They don't need this. <laughs> and because they can. It is, a competitive, it is a competitive market out there for talent. And we act as if, oh, yeah, these people are going to stay with us forever. You know, they've got a good thing going. Are, are you kidding me? No, 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 no. no. Let's wake up to reality. This, this is a war for talent out there. It has not changed. It has. It's just become so much more intense. I have a daughter who just graduated from uh, the university two weeks ago. Uh, she's going to be moving back in with me. They never leave, do they? And uh, no, they never leave. <laughs> and yet I've been shocked because she has she majored in film editing. She's very successful. She's got an incredibly successful YouTube channel, mashing up My Little Pony with Hamilton soundtrack. Hundreds of thousands of views, thousands of subscribers. And when she, I said, what are you going to do for a career? And this is a failure of parenting. She's like, well, when I move in with you, maybe I can get a job down at the mall. I'm, and I'm like, no, <laughs> especially not in the San Francisco Bay area. 
let me introduce you to a series of people who would, are desperately in need of your talents. And I think this young generation is waking up to the power they have over how they could, something that you and I, when we were, when we were coming of age in the workforce, we did not have that luxury. Right. And, no. and the, the reality is, is that there's also a generation right above them, right, who came out of school doing the Great Recession, came out of school during a time where there was, it was really hard to find a job. Right. And so, and they're learning from them. It's like, oh, my upward ability in terms of my career and my, um, and my prospects to do well, to improve my family situation, to improve my living conditions and income are very limited because the previous generation right before them saw this. So no wonder, no wonder their expectations are set really low. But I, I, I do think it's a lot of, I mean, the, the way that work has changed has completely, completely rewritten everything, especially for skilled and creative workers like your daughter. They can work from anywhere, do anything. And the fields are not just in entertainment, it's in pretty much anything that has anything to do with video, communications, marketing. Training so many places for them to work. So when you were, so the, we'll wrap up here. This has been fascinating. And I, and I appreciate your time and that you've made this up, uh, possible for us to have this conversation. Here's one question. When you were in college, growing up, looking at your career, what did you think? Where did you think that you would end up? Are you doing what you were anticipating? Or is it so far beyond uh, what you were even able to experience? Not even about? close. I mean, not even close. I grew up thinking I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be like my daddy. He's a doctor and, and being a, a daughter of immigrants, Asian, um, that was a good, safe route. And right. as the oldest child, as, as the daughter, I, when I went to, this, uh, when I went to college and realized, I don't want to be a doctor. I want to go into business. My father sat me down and he goes, name me one Asian American woman who's a leader in business. I'm like, you got a point. There were none. There were zero. It was zero. There was Elaine Chow, who was the Department of Transportation Secretary for Ronald Reagan. And that was it, as far as I could see. And he's like, do you really want to take this on? Do you really want to take this on and be that kind of trailblazer? So I'm like, I love it. I love leading. I love running things. Uh, but I never thought I'd be an analyst. And I thought I would just do it for two years when I joined Forrester back right. in 1999. And I'm still at it <laughs> over 20, oh, 23 years now going on. And um it, and, and of course, become an entrepreneur, successfully exited, and now in this new role. I research the world of ideas, um, the, the, the influence and the impact I can have with those ideas is what really drives me. I love creating these aha moments for people. So that's, that's the underlying motivation for me doing this. You've given me a couple of aha moments here in just our short conversation and the time that I've got to know you over this past year. So I really appreciate, Charlene, that you're coming on the show and, and sharing your wisdom and insight. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to the Digital First Leadership Podcast. My guest has been Char Charlene Lee, a New York Times bestselling author. You can find her book, The Disruption Mindset on Amazon now. And she's been talking about how leadership is going to need to change and adapt and pivot as we enter into this new era of disruption. Thanks for listening. Take care. You've been listening to Digital First Leadership, the podcast where you learn to leverage and build your expertise on digital platforms. For more valuable tips on mastering the language of social media, subscribe to our newsletter at blisspointconsult.com. If you'd like to stay in touch, feel free to add Richard on LinkedIn and join the conversation.